Welcome to The Disappearing Mind, a unique podcast helping you find clarity and support along your dementia journey. Now, join National Dementia Trainer and Coach Don Platt for an all-new episode. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today on the podcast, I'm going to continue stories of people with dementia. Now, these stories that I tell are really about people who have touched my life and that I have met along my healthcare journey. These people have touched my life and stole my heart. Great and wonderful people that I have had the privilege of meeting and caring for that have shaped my career and fed my passion to make a difference in the lives of people who live with dementia and their families. I am thankful for the opportunities that I've had to know some of these people, and hopefully I have been able to make a difference in their dementia journey. I know that in my own life, they've touched me. I have great memories of many of the people that I've had the opportunity to meet and care for, as well as their family members. And I hope through stories of people with dementia that I can share heartfelt stories about people who may remind you of yourself, of a family member or a friend or just someone that you know that has dementia. So on today's podcast, I will continue to share one special lady's story and what I remember of our times together on our journey. The last time on the podcast, I began to share the story of Marjorie, who I met and helped care for almost eight to 10 years ago. I would drop by her apartment from time to time. I worked in an assisted living. And when I had a moment, I would drop by and sit and talk with her. I enjoyed getting to know her more. And I was interested in learning the story of this curious woman. I really relished my time that I got to chat with her and hear about her life. She was just a very delightful and interesting person. In the beginning of our journey together, Marjorie was always welcoming as I knocked on the door, and she would invite me in to her apartment to sit down in the seating area that she had situated at a bay window. Her apartment was very lovely and filled with many things that reflected her life, her past, pictures of her beautiful family, pictures of the beach that she loved, and books and other things that told her story. Miss Marjorie was simple, yet an elegant Southern woman with an artless Southern accent that I often mimic. Although small in stature, she was very sure and confident and her mannerisms. Once she made up her mind, there was no changing it, no matter what. Normally mild-mannered, she could rise to the occasion if confronted or felt like she was confronted in the wrong way. The mother of four grown children, she always smiled as she spoke about her precious children. Born into a middle-class West Virginia family, She married a man of means, and his name was Charles. He was very bright, Marjorie told me, an accomplished businessman that built his fortune from the ground up. Marjorie was no stranger to hard work. 
Charles adored Marjorie and was smitten by her Southern charm from the moment they met. Her life with Charles was filled with joy and happiness. Raising their children, enjoying life was all that Marjorie had ever dreamed of. Over the years, Marjorie and Charles traveled across the United States on vacation, especially enjoyed boating and golfing. And eventually they moved to Florida when Charles retired. As the years passed, their children grew up, married, and had several children of their own. They were a very close family. The children and grandchildren visited Marjorie and Charles several times a year in their Florida home. In addition to their family, Charles and Marjorie had many close friends over the years. In later years, after moving to Florida, they socialized frequently and made great friends at the boat club where they were members. Her friend Emily enjoyed cooking and Marjorie enjoyed cooking as well. Friends and family said that she was especially good at baking. They entertained friends, often in their beautiful home, and life was good. Some of their closest friends were Francis and Betty Sterling. They spent most of their time together as couples, gathering for lunch or dinner, playing golf, and spending time at the boat club, which both couples enjoyed. Although Betty and Marjorie had very little in common, Betty was taken, just like me, by Marjorie's southern charm and her sincere graciousness. Over the years, their friendship deepened, and the two women were almost inseparable. As time moved on and their life began to turn, aging produced health issues, especially for her dear friend, Betty. Betty's ailing condition took a toll on Marjorie, as she described it to me. She never really said, but I wonder what her illness was, and I wonder if the course of Betty's illness influenced Marjorie and the decisions that she made about her own health care journey, the things she shared from her journal and notebook, her determination to not be a burden. I always wondered there was something that Marjorie wished she could have done in Betty's life, her dear friend. She never said, but I think that it was impactful for her. After all, Marjorie was a strong, determined woman, and she was not going to allow the burden of her own health care needs to fall on her family's shoulders. I think that's why she pushed so hard to have things planned out. She really did to the very end even when she was further progressed in her dementia, you could still sense her need not to be a burden. I think that's why I admired her so much, why she was so impactful in my career journey. Her sheer determination. For her size, she had a lot of determination. I wish I could have known Marjorie earlier in her life. I often wondered what she was like. How did she live her life? Was she a serious person, or did she really have a humorous side? I've always sensed that she was a likable and good person. From seeing her interactions with her daughters, I'm sure that she must have been a good mother. People liked her, and she seemed social. You know, sometimes we have to dig deep and take a moment, take time, after all, 
if we want to learn the details of people's lives, which existed before they had dementia and still exist after they have dementia. Who were and are they? What did they love? Where did they live? Did they work? What was their occupation? Were they religious or spiritual in some way? What were their hobbies? Did they have a favorite color? What music did they listen to? What were their favorite movies? Favorite cars? Did they travel? Have they done great things in their life? Did they know famous people? Were they adventurous? Maybe a dancer or a poet. Perhaps they were a bookworm. All of these things are critical into stepping into someone's world. Someone who has dementia is going to take knowing them and their past to build a relationship with them and to build trust in their lives. It's an important part of relationship and caring for someone. After all, memory fades backwards. What happens when people get dementia? Generally, it's their short-term memory that begins to disappear. And then going back in time, they will begin to forget things a little further back and a little further back until you find that they may be at a much younger age in their mind. And they may be able to recall what they did in high school or college, but not be able to recall what they had for lunch. That's dementia. That's how it works. Memories are very impactful. They're the perfect thing to tap into to reach someone, to remind someone and share with someone when they're processing the world around them and it's become difficult for them because of the disease process that they're going through. Strong memories that are special to us and to people hold a place mark in our mind and life's journey. When we can identify those things and tap into them, that's when we can really connect with someone who has dementia. I once met a delightful and wonderful man named Charles. Charles just was a very interesting man. He had a big smile, but he could barely put a full sentence together. You see, dementia had diminished his communication skills over time. But there was something that was important to Charles, and apparently he had been able to do it in his younger days and could still do it after he could no longer put sentences together. He could recite word for word the Gettysburg Address flawlessly, and he did it almost every day. We were able to tap into that memory for Charles, and he was able to pull that memory up. I'm not real sure why that was important, but I certainly remember smiling every time Charles recited the Gettysburg Address. Many times people that I have met can't talk, but they can still sing. Music can be very powerful in our lives, and it's a great way to interact with people who have dementia. After all, music is something that most of us have had throughout our lives. When we tap into memories, it has a way of helping people with dementia connect new memories to old memories. And that, my friend, is a wonderful thing for someone who has dementia. You see, music is in the soul. And people will often tap their foot or smile or react to a song, an old hymn or an old rock and roll tune or something or some type of music that's been familiar in their lifetime. Dementia is an awful condition, but 
There are always opportunities to connect with people when we step into where they are, into their reality. It gives us an edge to communicate and have relationship when we find common ground with something they value. What an awesome opportunity to remind someone of what they love when they can no longer remember what that is. Think about that. I tell that to team members and healthcare professionals who I teach all the time. What an opportunity to remind someone of what they love when they can no longer remember what that is. I think that's of great value and something that I feel privileged to be able to do with the people that I work with. I find it a joy to connect with people who have dementia. And I think you'll find it a joy once you learn more about the disease and some of the tips that you can use to connect with them, even on a small level. As dementia progresses, judgment, the ability to express thoughts and understand what is being said diminishes, sometimes faster or slower, depending on the individual depending on the type of dementia, their diagnosis, and other external factors. For instance, what's their overall health? What's the environment they live in? Do they have support? How are they nutritionally? Lots of factors affect how fast or how slow an individual may lose these abilities. This was no different for Marjorie. Perhaps she found it easier to navigate living in this new space, in this new place. After all, she lived with less familiar people, people who had no preconceived notion or expectation, like her family or friends in her community circle. They didn't know her. And it was easier for her to conceal things. That, frankly, might be embarrassing. Nobody wants to be embarrassed, especially with complete strangers. Having a lot of the services that she had in assisted living, such as concierge services, housekeeping, dining, and personal care services, seemed to give Marjorie some peace of mind. And I think maybe she didn't have to perform so much. Not that her family expected that. I think she expected that of herself. And with dementia, that can be hard for someone to navigate. We personally discuss changes in people's personality on previous podcasts, but we always do it from our perception. As I mentioned, these changes in Marjorie's journey, which were evident as she progressed, let's just flip the coin here and look at it from an individual's perspective, an individual's perspective who has dementia. I think that once we kind of understand more of what happens, we will be more likely to have sympathy and be more understanding on what we need to do to navigate this relationship, the communication that we need to have with an individual who has dementia. Most people who get dementia experience changes in how they understand the world around them. I mean, that's not unusual. Happens in most cases. These changes in perception occur because the damage to the brain caused by dementia. And depending on where they have dementia, where the damage is, is going to 
affect how they're impacted. In other words, what senses are impacted, how much they're impacted, and how quickly they're impacted. So these changes cause people with dementia to experience things differently. Understanding the problems that they face and why will assist you in supporting them, providing reassurance that they need and getting them the help that they may require through every stage of dementia. Gaining knowledge about dementia, how it progresses and how it can affect people who have it will make you and me better able to care for and help the person navigate the world and make sense of the world that they're living in. After all, there's a lot of confusion that they experience. And when you're able to facilitate this and help them, you may find it helps their well-being and their sense of self-esteem. This is really important because all of us want to remain independent as long as possible. Nobody wants to be embarrassed. Nobody wants to have to describe what they're going through, and most of them can't even describe it. The person living with dementia may experience misperceptions, misidentifications, hallucinations, delusions, and even time shifting. How a person with dementia experiences or perceives things often changes in each stage of dementia and how it progresses. They seem to experience reality different than you and I, or to misunderstand what's happening around them. This can be frustrating, confusing, and distressing for anyone, but certainly for the person and for their caregivers. So what is perception? What are we talking about here? And why do we need to understand this when we're dealing with someone or have a friend or loved one who has dementia? Perception is information from the sense organs. For example, our eyes or ears, those perceptions travel to the brain. The brain processes this information to understand it. What we see and hear is all part of perception. So the brain analyzes these things along with other information already in the brain, such as our thoughts and our memories. And these are associated with our emotions. Then the person becomes aware of what has been sensed or perceived. Dementia changes that. The damage that occurs in the brain changes visual perception, sometimes hearing perception, and how we process all of those factors. Our brain is a very complex organ, and it can really make changes in every area of our life when it's impacted by dementia. Dementia interrupts this or slows down this process, which changes how a person understands the world around them. Damage to the eyes or parts of the brain cause misconceptions, misidentification, hallucinations, delusions, and we're going to talk about time shifting because I want you to understand how and why that can happen. It's one of the most common questions that I'm asked, especially when dealing with families. But these problems can cause a person with dementia to say or do things that don't make sense to you or to others. This can be upsetting and difficult for families and caregivers, especially if they're experiencing a different reality than yours. 
And let's face it, most times they are. They are in their own world. And unfortunately, they are experiencing things that we can't see, we don't understand, and often we can't relate to. When we understand that's how dementia impacts a person, we can respond in a more supportive way. You can help keep up their confidence and help them cope with these misunderstandings as they come along that are caused by dementia. It's never a person's choice. The most common type of misperception and misidentifications are visual. This is because damage to the eyes or problems with other visual systems that are linked to the brain can cause misperceptions. When this happens to a person, a person sees one thing. For example, they may see blue floor tiles and misperceive them as water. The part of the brain that controls the visual fields can be impacted and they can no longer process the tiles. It just looks blue and perhaps they perceive it as water. Misidentification happens when a person has problems identifying specific objects and even people. And this is something that's very common and very confusing for families. For example, an individual may mistake their son for their husband or a caregiver for someone else, their son, a relative, or someone else that has lived in their life. Some of these misperceptions could be caused by either issue, visual, or damage of hearing or other of the five senses. Either way, here are some examples of some of the mistakes that may occur. For instance, someone with dementia may mistake their TV remote control for their mobile phone because their visual system is damaged in the brain. It's not clearly seen, so therefore it's misperceived as a TV remote control or a cell phone, or it might be clearly seen as something else. But this damage in the brain is perceived incorrectly and misunderstood. I think that we need to look at the brain and understand that everything that we do is completed by the brain. The brain is a multifaceted organ that controls all five of our senses. How we speak, how we walk and talk, not only our perception, but our vocal cords and every other organ in our body. People who get dementia get it in multiple places. We don't all have the same type. And not all the degeneration happens in the same place. That's why we see people who may have physical disabilities, but be more cognitively alert. In other types of dementia, the brain is impacted in an area where their speech or their cognition is heavily affected, but they're physically very fit. This happens in many types of dementia and we see that as we work with different people who have dementia. person with dementia may have visual and spatial deficits. So what is that? So visual spatial deficits are 
being able to judge objects in space or the distance. For instance, how far away is the door from where I'm standing? Or how far away is the floor from where I am? Those difficulties can be very impactful for people who have dementia. If their dementia is affecting their vision in this way, there's certain areas of the brain that controls vision and different parts of the brain send out different information. That's why you may see people reaching for something or objects that aren't there or that are further away. You also may see that people will step over objects on the floor or dark spots, perceiving them as holes or gaps that they have to step over. All of these things affect people with dementia and can cause many different types of misperceptions. When you encounter this, it's just wise to realize that this is how dementia impacts the brain. And when you understand that, you can overlook those things and help the person navigate the situation and help them with their dementia. I think we'll plan to cover this in greater detail in future podcasts. There's so much information to share in regards to what happens to the brain when someone gets dementia and how it impacts them, how it can progress, how different parts of the brain control and people exhibit different types of things when they have different types of dementia. When we understand this better, it really equips us to approach care and relationships with individuals who have dementia in a much broader way. It gives us more empathy for the person and more understanding really enables us to assist them more throughout the disease process. When we step into their shoes and perhaps get a little bit more information and understanding about why they do things and perhaps what's happening with them and these things that are simply out of character for them, their perspective, what they see, feel, and hear can be very difficult and I'm sure very frightening at times. I believe that it's very hard as a family member to live with someone or know someone, perhaps a parent for a very long time. And we have this relationship with them and dementia changes that. It's very hard sometimes to be understanding and even be forgiving. After all, they may look the same, their voice may be the same, but when we really understand what's happening, Dementia is an awful, awful condition. It's an awful disease. And it's very destructive, not only on the brain, but on people's lives. And as they deteriorate, it can become a really sad situation, definitely for the person, but also for those of you going through it with them. Before I look more at Marjorie's story, let's talk a little bit about time shifting because this is a common question that I mentioned that often comes up. People don't really understand. And what they'll say to me is, why can't mom remember what she had for lunch or what we did yesterday? But she remembers her high school prom or when her and dad were married and went on vacation. This is something very common. It's very, very hard to understand. And we'll take a look at it. So what is time shifting? Time shifting is when a person's experience is that they are living in an earlier time in their own life. This person may not understand what more recent technology is or does. 
they may not recognize friends or family as they look now. It could be that they're expecting them to be much younger. They also may not recognize themselves when they look in the mirror, as they are expecting to see a much younger version of themselves. They may seem to be experiencing a different reality than yours. Try and remember that what they perceive as real is as real to them as your reality is to you. Many times when people progress in their dementia, especially in the middle stages and beyond, they might think of themselves as in high school or even a child who might be looking for their parent. They may act much younger. They may perceive their child as their parent. They may think that they're younger than the person that they're conversing with. This is called time shifting. And the reason for that is memory goes backwards, and we'll discuss that in just a moment. So memory is important in understanding the world that someone lives in. We have to understand what's happening now, and we have to step into their world, into their timeline, so to speak. The brain uses information from our senses and our memories. So when someone has dementia, they often have damage to their short-term memory first. They're forgetful about the most recent memories, about what most recently happened. That's the reason why they may ask questions repetitively or not be able to remember something that just happened or something that you just talked about. And they will repeat a question over and over and over again. This means that they rely more on older memories to make sense of what's happening right now. That's very common. We see it all the time in individuals who have dementia. As the months went by and Marjorie began to exhibit many changes in her personality, she began to be more insistent in her questions and they became much more frequent. She was less social, more interruptive, often getting short with people and being argumentative. Marjorie was trying to survive and this can be really common with people who have dementia. After all, they're trying to navigate a world that they no longer understand. They're depending on what memories are still alive in their own brain, and they use those to survive. Those things are important to them, and they don't understand when you tell them they just asked the question. They don't understand perhaps the way that you're acting or the way that you're responding to them. If you get short with them or refuse to answer their question or deny them the answer, that's probably going to be met with a negative response on their part. They have no perception as what is happening, and they will often shift blame to you because they can't process what's happening. That's really important for you to know and understand, and I think that when you do that, you will have a lot better communication with the person that you're talking to. Let those repetitive questions roll off your back. Answer it again or in a different way or divert the topic. Try and redirect them in something or a story that perhaps they can engage in better. Maybe a story they tell every day or a story that always gives them joy. This will help the person navigate those moments and it will make it easier for you. This behavior is not unusual. As a matter of fact, I see it most times in the people that I work with who have dementia. They experience most of these very same things. Please keep in mind as dementia grows and progresses, 
you're working overtime to process what once came easy in your life. That's what happens. Now, people with dementia are spending most of their time just trying to adjust to the day-to-day process and the experiences that are happening to them. This is a full-time job for them. This would be very frustrating to almost anyone, let alone someone who has dementia. If we had to navigate our day and our world and getting dressed and going to work and going about our day-to-day routines with all of these other processing deficits that are occurring with someone with dementia, we would probably have behavior changes too. It definitely would impact our psyche and how we are able to respond to others. This is exactly what happens to people who have dementia. Not all in the same way and not all to the same degree. Some people don't really exhibit all the behaviors. They may never get aggressive or they may never lash out. They may never lose their temper. But more than not, this can happen. You could imagine. I'm sure you feel that way when you have to stand in a bank line or wait 30 minutes to talk to someone on the phone because you've been put on hold. When you understand what happens with dementia, it makes it a whole lot easier to be compassionate towards people who are suffering with dementia. It's at this time that we normally see people begin to isolate. We begin to see mood swings and personality changes because of the difficulty perceiving what's being said, exaggerated behaviors, and catastrophic outbursts simply began to happen because they can no longer hold a barometer on their emotions. This can be difficult for us to understand and for families who have lost their loved one. They're presented with a person who they don't seem to know. I hear people say that a lot. I've said that. Who is this person that I'm talking to referring to my mother? I hear families say that. Where's my mom? Where's my dad? Where's my husband? This person is there, but I don't seem to know them. I don't seem to be able to reach them. I cannot stress enough how important it is to remember that this is not your loved one. It's their dementia. Your loved one has no choice in this matter. As unfortunate as it is, it's reality for them. And it's time for us to extend grace to this person who's suffering with dementia. Marjorie, her Southern grace and sweet personality were somehow lost to dementia. Her social circles and attendance at leisure activities became disruptive to others. There were arguments and hurt feelings between old friends and acquaintances to the point where she just began to isolate and it became too hard to navigate social circles and she even quit going to the dining room for meals. Marjorie's once Southern grace was lost and we had to look really hard to find it. At this stage, she would often attend any activity if we could get her to go. But once she got there, she would constantly ask questions because she simply couldn't recall what was going on. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? What are we doing next? What is this for? She really wasn't able to process the whole situation. And at times, it was really sad and heartbreaking, not only to her family, but to those of us who cared for her, the community staff. It was heartbreaking. She couldn't help herself. 
It became a defense mechanism as she attempted to understand what was happening in her world. Many things, such as a loud dining room or loud music or several people talking, was actually agitating to her. It was too much stimulation, and she could no longer process it. This happens to people when they get to a certain stage of dementia. We have to make sure that we don't overstimulate them, that we don't aggravate what's already going on with their processing skills. Some people are more understanding than others. Unfortunately, it's not always the case. Guarding and protecting someone's dignity and peace of mind becomes important at this stage. Helping someone with dementia at this stage requires that we help them facilitate day-to-day activities, even social engagement. Make it simple and safe for them, removing them from any obstacles or situations where they may get overstimulated, overwhelmed, even by the simplest activities and tasks. During this time, I think it was only natural that Marjorie would withdraw and isolate, and that's exactly what she did. After all, we safeguard ourselves and protect ourselves from embarrassment. Nobody wants to be embarrassed. It's usually at this point that people with dementia, they know something's wrong, but they don't know what it is, and they can't identify that it's them or their processing skills They really don't understand what's happening. The importance of social interaction and meaningful engagement cannot be stressed enough. People who isolate, withdraw, often deteriorate quicker than those who maintain some form of socialization, keeping themselves busy and engaged. 40% of all individuals with dementia will suffer some kind of depression. It's a proven statistic that people who are isolated, people that have no engagement, often deteriorate. They don't use their brain or their social skills, and so they seem to deteriorate much quicker. Routines and structure and engagement are beneficial for people with dementia. Routines keep them balanced. The importance of routines and familiarity to the person with dementia is profound. A daily structure can help decrease undesired behaviors such as aggression, restlessness, and even agitation. It's important that they are in a familiar surrounding, that they can anticipate what's going to happen next. That's where structure and engagement come in and can really give an outlet for people who need to express themselves, who need to give back, who need to have an opinion and feel good about themselves. Daily routines help reduce stress and anxiety, and they help everyone involved to know what to expect. Persons with dementia thrive on familiarity. It's very important because dementia gradually impairs a person's ability to plan, their ability to initiate tasks, and to complete activities. When we create an environment of familiar routines and activities, it allows the person with dementia to feel more comfortable, to feel more calm. If they can perform an activity, they can still retain their sense of control and independence. After all, being independent is something that everyone longs to have, that ability to take care of yourself, that ability to give an opinion, that ability to make a choice. I mean, those things are profoundly important in our lives. 
Furthermore, establishing a familiar pattern of events allows them to have a schedule and a daily routine that can build into the long-term memory portion of their brain. What do I mean by that? If we have a daily bathing schedule or daily dressing schedule or daily meal and activity schedule, this is really helpful because they build routine. Let's talk about that for just a minute because I know it might be hard to understand. When we know and have a routine in our life, there are many things that we do in our homes, in our workplace that already has a brain path. We don't have to think about getting dressed. We don't have to really put a lot of effort into routines that we do every day. They're more or less rogue type activities. It provides us with a sense of calm, a sense of knowing. And having a routine and a structure gives a safeguard to the person with dementia who is always wondering what's coming around the corner when they're just trying to process the stimuli that's coming towards them each and every moment of the day. People who live in a home for a long time can often make their way around that home and find objects even in the dark because they have done it for so long. That doesn't take a lot of processing skills, and we see that happen with people who have dementia. The issue that comes into play is when they're in a new environment. When they're in a new environment, we're often able to see what we weren't able to see before. Families tell me who live in other states or other cities that they really had no idea what their mom or dad were going through. They seem to be doing so well. But when they went to actually see them in person, they weren't doing so well. Their house was tattered. Their clothing was stained. That They weren't changing their clothes. They weren't combing their hair. They just seemed to talk a good talk. But when the family got to their home, they could really see that this person wasn't processing so well as they thought. They were just talking a good talk. One of the ways that we can help someone with dementia navigate this new world that they're living in is to assist them by facilitating activities of daily living, actually helping them to navigate the journey by making things simple, easy. We need to anticipate their needs and assist only where needed. Marjorie, she can no longer live independently in her apartment with just help with activities of daily living, such as housekeeping, dining, transportation, care, and medication assistance. She now had come to the point where we had to assist her and help her to facilitate relationships, social and leisure activities. Marjorie had declined in her dementia where she needed more assistance. But still at this point, she was in a safe place. She wasn't a safety risk. She didn't wander and she didn't need memory care. A memory care community is usually a community that has a secured or a locked door for people who may be at risk for their safety. They may wander or have other safety risks. That wasn't Marjorie. She needed many things that people who live with dementia need, but people in memory care need more. And she was still able to maintain a lot of those things in her life. She still could be independent in certain areas of her life. So her independence was important and valuable to her and her family. 
and we wanted to help facilitate her journey. As a matter of fact, at that point, we were at risk of her leaving the community. By now, because she was isolating, the family had hired a private duty caregiver. She didn't want to really come out of her apartment. She refused to go to the dining room and in no way wanted to join in activities with others, with her old friends, with the ladies who had sat at the round table that she had dined with for some time. The family had hired someone that came in and sat with her throughout the day into the evening and until she went to bed. As she became more dependent on that person, becoming more and more isolated from others, she also continued to decline and her behaviors worsened. She began showing more behaviors. She wasn't the only one in the community that had dementia and required more assistance to navigate the day. The issue was that none of these people were exit seekers, wanderers, and they didn't really have safety issues or safety concerns. It was just too early to move her and the other people into a memory care neighborhood our memory care neighborhood. It was at that time that I and a dear colleague put our heads together and created a program, a mid-level dementia program, a bridge program for individuals like Marjorie's, individuals who needed facilitation to socialize, who needed to sit with others and engage with others socially who were similar to them have someone to facilitate that engagement and to make sure that it wasn't overwhelming to Marjorie or anyone who was in the social program. These programs are much more common today, but back then they weren't as common because we really didn't see the in-between person. Typically people who went into an assisted living community either lived in assisted living or They lived in memory care, one or the other. But we have since learned that there's a time for people to live in memory care. And if someone goes into memory care too quickly, it can be detrimental to their journey into their life and actually cause them to decline quicker, to become disassociated, to become depressed. Stay tuned to the podcast to learn more about Marjorie and the stories of the people who I've worked with who have dementia, how they inspired me and others to learn more and to do more to make their dementia journey and quality of life a better one. I hope that something that you've heard today was useful in your life or the life of someone you know who has dementia. I hope that you have more understanding and that you know that you're not alone on this journey. Meeting people like Marjorie have made me determine to not settle for less. I feel like we can make a difference. When we know more, we do more. And when we know more, we can make a difference in people's lives. And after all, it's the small things that give us the victory. Oftentimes, we look for the big things or changes or cures, and we all want a cure. But I think, and I'm just here to say today that there are lots of things that we can do to make this journey a little more memorable, to make this journey a little better for you and the person that you know who has dementia. Until next time, try and make it a memorable day. Find some joy along the journey. 
I'm Don Platt. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us for the Disappearing Mind podcast. We hope it's helped you find clarity and support along your journey. Be sure to subscribe to never miss an episode, visit our website to suggest future topics, and share the podcast with friends and family.